continuing our study in um, our church, or our 860 study for the month of August. Uh, this will be the last study for the 860 you know, group block uh, for right now. There'll be some more down the road. As I mentioned, I think when we started this, this is kind of me putting together the outline of a book. I want to write a book and each chapter will have um, a theme uh, and the themes will be based upon these sermons that I'm giving all centered around the 860 verse, 1 Kings 860. Just a reminder of that verse, it is from 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 60. It's where we get our name from. It's the dedication of Solomon's temple. And like I said, when I taught chapter 8, verse 60, what, three weeks ago now, I said you can't have 860 without 859. So they kind of tie the thought together because 860 is a fragmented sentence. Who would ever name their church after a fragment? I don't know, but we did. And, uh, and so the entire sentence begins in 59, and it says, Solomon is speaking, and it says, he says, And may these words of mine, with which I have made supplication before the Lord, be near the Lord our God day and night, that he may maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel, as each day may require, and here's our verse, that all the people of the earth may know the Lord is God, there is no other. If I don't ask you to memorize any other verse, would you set that one's heart into mind and, and get it memorized? So when people say, what's the 860? When you invite them to church, you can tell them instead of saying, um, well, you come to church and Pastor Chris will tell you. No, you tell them what 860 is. And so we learn in that study that the temple was destroyed, Solomon's temple is gone, even Herod's temple was gone in 70 AD, and since 70 AD, the people of Israel have not had a temple to worship in. But we learned through Paul's writing in the book of 1 Corinthians that we, the church, the bride of Christ, have become the temple of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, it says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So the thought would be, since we are now the temple of God, we house God's spirit inside of us, that we should respond to the love that God has given us by showing or living out 860. And that's what these messages are all about. The first, well, the first study we looked at chapter 8, verse 60. Then we did a study on what it would be like if a church like us embraced the 860 verse and what it would be for a church to live out the 860 verse. Last week we looked at marriage, what it is for a godly husband and a godly wife to invest everything they have so that all the people of the earth may know the Lord is God, there is no other. This week we're looking at family. 860. The message or the theme for today is taking it to the next step. The husband and wife come together and now there's a family involved. And so this week is family 860. That's why I wore my Hawaiian shirt. I know it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but when we were in Hawaii, Michelle and I, one of the things that I grabbed a hold of is the affinity that the Hawaiian people have for family. It's near and dear to their hearts, more so than I think a lot of us here stateside would, would embrace. I mean, I know we all embrace our family, but there's an intensity. They call it ohana. 
which what is it from Lilo and Stitch? Ohana means family, and family means no one's left behind, right? That's it. Yeah, you know, from if you remember the movie Lilo and Stitch, but uh, that they embrace this idea that that we are family, that we come together, and this is us, and this is who we are, and we love more deeply these people, and we put our arms uh, more strongly around these people, and, and these people are special. And so I brought that home with, from Hawaii earlier this year. Speaking of, we could pray for them, right? Boy, they had it. I don't know what we did since we did when we went, but, you know, the, the volcano erupted, and it continues to erupt, and now they're... The hurricane, we, we messed something up over there. And Alaska, take warning, because that's where we're headed next weekend. And so <laughs> it's, just like, it's like, all right, Alaska's on, on watch because the Rogers are coming. <laughs> 30, 30 inches, 40 inches of rain, something like that. Insane amount of water on the big island. So yeah, pray for Hawaii. So we're talking about family, and um, I just wanted to continue our study in the book of Ephesians, so I'll give you a second to get there. I know I didn't mention it earlier, but we had finished chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, and Paul then addresses the natural progression, which is family, in Ephesians chapter 6. And so we're going to look at a few verses there, if you want to find it in your Bibles. Remember the, the way to remember this, the four? Galatians E, popcorn, right? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So there, and that's all right after the Corinthians. Okay, the Corinthians get drunk. They're they're, they're the crazy wild ones, and then the Galatians eat popcorn. <laughs> Ephesians chapter six, verse one. Have you found it? You with me? Yes. Yes. Children. Is what it says. Children. Obey your parents in the Lord, for it is right. This isn't highlighted in my kids' Bibles. It will be soon. <laughs> Reese is making a verse image right now. <laughs> Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. If we want to be a family that's going to embrace the 860 lifestyle, all of us need to be invested in it. All of us need to leverage <coughs> who we are, what we are, what we have for his kingdom and for his glory. Paul says, and he speaks specifically here to children. It's interesting to me that Paul would mention children. Uh, it, it, Jesus placed greater value on children than society did. Society, children were not to be seen or heard. They weren't treated well. They weren't um, embraced. In fact, they wanted to see most often if they would survive infant mortality before they even gave them a name. And then they were quickly put to work and they were quickly pushed into back rooms or whatever. And especially fathers would typically ignore children. So that Paul mentions children is interesting. Jesus kind of elevates the value of children. Remember the story Jesus brings a child to him and he says, you've got to become like one of these if you want to see the kingdom of heaven. And that, that was more than just te a teaching moment to say, this is how we need to act. This was him embracing children as a whole to say, let's elevate who they are. Jesus did more to elevate the status of women and the status of children than anybody else had prior to that time. And so Paul mentions children here in this letter to the church at Ephesus. Now what age children are we talking about here? The word is technon. 
That's the, the word in the original language. And the word technon means little children. Um, it's the same, remember when we studied the epistles of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he kept calling everybody little children. And I was saying, well, that's because he was 90-something years old, and everybody's a little child to him. You could be 75 and still be a little child to John because he was ancient. But it's referring specifically here to anyone who's still living in their parents' house. So it's to the 3-year-old, and it's to the 13-year-old, and it's to the 18-year-old, still living in their parents' houses. And so, <laughs> he's addressing anyone that's still living in their parents' house. And the, the command is to obey your parents in the Lord, for it is right. I find it interesting that he addresses them specifically. He says, hey, he doesn't say, hey, parents, tell your kids. He says, children, listen up, obey your parents. That means they were listening when the letter was read. That means they were involved in church. Um, we like having the kids here in worship. Does that create a distraction sometimes as kids are learning how to worship? Certainly it does. But it also sets an example for the kids to see their parents worshiping. And so he addresses them. That means they were listening. What are these children to do? To obey. Say it. Obey. They were to obey. Reese? Obey. Right on. Right on. All right. Just making sure we're going to... Sorry, I'm going to pick on you today because the other three are in there. So... What does it mean to obey? To follow the direction of an authority. And that's what we're talking about. Remember how this conversation started before we even addressed wives and husbands? It said, let's submit one another to the Lord. The idea is that we're all acting in submission. We're all submitted under the Lord. We, we follow on, if we fall under his headship and we serve one another, submitting to one another. And so now as he addresses children, he continues in that thought to say, okay, children, obey. Submit yourself to the authority of who? Your parents. Those that God have placed over you. And parents, we need to remember, and he'll address fathers here specifically in a second, that your kids aren't your kids. Your kids are his kids. These are, these are his souls that he has invested in, and he has permitted you to steward them. He allows us to uh, have care over them and to watch over them. But these are his kids. God cares more about your children than you ever will. And you know how much you care about your children. But he loves them even more. And so he allows us to steward them and to care for them and come alongside of them. And so, um, so we should remember that as parents. So children obey. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. How are we to obey? In the Lord. We're to follow the ways of the Lord. We're to submit ourselves to God. If you're a child in this room, if you're listening online, we are to do so in the Lord's strength. You can't obey your parents fully or well without having the Lord's strength. We ask that when children would obey in the way that you would the Lord. If the Lord would tell you to do something, you'd be pretty quick to obey that. Well, show that obedience to your parents as well. And then certainly in the ways of the Lord. Why would you obey your parents? So we don't kill you. No. <laughs> Why would you obey your parents? Because it's right. It's the right thing to do. As Christians, our goal is righteous living, right? We, we strive to live properly, right living. And the way to accomplish that 
Uh, the way to be good at that is to do it for a long time. If you, the way to get good at anything is to practice, right? And so if we practice as children how being obedient, as we grow up and become adults, we will understand the process of being obedient to the Lord. It's a training ground for us as, as children to learn obedience so that we can be obedient to the Lord. Why would we do it? Because it's right. And, it, it's, uh, and practice makes perfect. You guys may be familiar with this verse. I know as we our kids were little, this was on mine and Michelle's heart quite a bit. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Is that, is that a guaranteed verse that you raise your kids in a godly Christian home that they're going to become godly Christian kids? No. Not necessarily. Each and every one of us has our own free will, and we are our, 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 we are our own moral agents. We determine our own relationship with Christ. So you can provide a perfect environment for a child to be raised in, in a godly Christian home. And that person may still become prodigal and choose not to walk with the Lord. So what is this verse saying? Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he'll not depart from it. So how about this? So if as children we practice obeying our parents, then when we are of age to follow the Lord on our own, it will be easier to submit ourselves to him. We will have practiced submitting to our parents, and so it will be easier to submit to the Lord. How do we submit? Well, it doesn't tell us exactly as children how we should submit, but I would I would say joyfully. That we would submit joyfully. Why? Because if our parents are living the 860 lifestyle, if our family is, is surrendered to uh, leveraging everything for 860, then we're going to want to provide an environment in which our kids can thrive in which our kids can grow closer to the Lord. And so when we ask you to do something that may go against your will, or asking you to be obedient even though you don't want to, submit to that joyfully so that we can learn how to do things right. Submit expediently. We have a saying in our household, slow obedience is no obedience. For you to not do something or to take your time doing something is just as bad as not doing it at all. Yeah, I'll do it when I get to it. I asked you to mow the lawn three weeks ago. Now, now the grass is, you know, up to my waist. <laughs> Slow obedience is no obedience. Reese is actually very good. Thank you, Jesus, for a young man to mow the lawn. I prayed a long time for that. <laughs> I hate mowing, personally. Just never did like it. So obedience is no obedience. And then also I would say that we would do, we would submit ourselves as children in all things. Unless your parents are asking you to sin. In the same way that I mentioned last week, if, uh, for a wife, if a wife, if a husband is asking his wife to sin, then it's okay to not submit to that. Same is true of children. If you know that the ways of the Lord and you know what is right and wrong and your parents are asking you to go against the will of God, then it's okay in that situation to not submit. 
you better have it backed up with your theology, right? And your verse of your body, you know, your chapter and verse so that you know what you're talking about as a child. But if it's if you're asked being asked to sin, then it's okay to not submit. Jesus, again, is our ultimate example, kids. Um, he is the son, and he obeyed his father in all things, even the cross. So Jesus is our ultimate example in that. Verse 2 of Ephesians 6 says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. He's quoting, of course, the Ten Commandments. Commandment number four, Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long upon the land with which the Lord your God is giving you. What is he saying? All right, Trekkies. Live long and prosper. Right? That's what he's saying. Honor your father and mother so you can live long and prosper. That spot would be proud. What does that mean? Honor your father and mother so that it may go well with you. Honor, uh, honor your father and mother so that your parents won't kill you. Like I said before. Well, actually, maybe that's what it did mean, to a certain degree. At the time of Jesus, if a Roman man was beating his son in public and beat him to death, the Roman government wouldn't step in or intervene you were allowed to do to your children whatever you thought, thought was fit. And very often, as discipline, they would beat them so much that they would beat them to death. So perhaps he's saying, honor your father and mother so that things will go well with you and, and you avoid the beating. That, that may be part of it here, but that's not the entirety of the context. The rabbis would teach of this verse, especially in the Old Testament, Exodus 20, that the days of a child who obeys his parents would be rich. Not necessarily in quantity, but in quality. And that's what he's talking about. Honor your father and mother so that it may go well with you. You want quality of life as a child? Honor your father and mother. I have a much easier time saying yes to my kids' requests when they've done the things that I've asked them to when they've accomplished the things that they know that they're supposed to. They want things to go well for them. They know that they need to do the things that I ask them to. I message Reese regularly uh, while I'm at work. Hey, did this get done? No, not yet. Hey, Dad, can I go over to Adam's house? Oh, no, not yet. <laughs> you know? it's, a, it's a give and take. And so, um, again, the, it's not necessarily speaking of quantity of days, but rather quality of days. So now Paul adjusts or refocuses and speaks to the fathers and the relationship that a father would have with his son. And it says in verse 4 there, And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Who is he speaking to? Dads. We've got a few dads in the room. We've got a few dads watching online. He's speaking specifically to you, fathers. Do not provoke your children to wrath. It's interesting to me, he doesn't address mothers here. Mothers have a more nurturing spirit about them anyway. 
And so I think he addresses fathers here specifically because we need to be addressed and to remember what Paul is about to say. But also because of what we learned last week, that if a, if a husband is living a godly life, surrendered to the will of God, then he is going to be the spiritual leader of his household. And he is going to be the one who sets the temperature and who sets the culture in his home. And so it is upon his shoulders as, as a dad to create the culture that would honor God and to teach the children. If a home is in biblical order, the mother will follow the father's leadership. Hopefully the father is leading in a godly way. So Paul addresses the household or the head of the household, the spiritual leader. He says, dads, don't provoke your children. The goal here, dads, is not to dominate. It's not to rule with an iron fist. It's not to have so much control over that your kids are perfectly in order. What that does is produces rebellion. If you hold on so tightly, it produces rebellion. If your children don't have the opportunity to experience sin and grace, mercy and forgiveness in a household, then it will ultimately produce rebellion. If we produce rebellion against us as dads, it's going to be much easier for your child to rebel against God. We don't want to create that environment. And so we have to, as dads, provide an environment in which kids can grow and learn. Colossians chapter 3 gives us a little more information. He gives essentially the same command in Colossians chapter 3 verse 21. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children, same, lest they become discouraged, is what he says in, in 321. We don't want our kids to become discouraged. Our goal is to encourage them. Our goal is to encourage our children in the giftings that God has given them. We need to know and understand our kids and know what they're about and know how they relate to God and the talents that God has given them and encourage them in those things. We're not to be discouragers, we're to be encouragers, pointing them toward the Lord. Everybody's tracking with me? Jesus gives a stark warning in Mark chapter 9, verse 42. You probably know this. Jesus says, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. That's a quick death. Painful death. They'd be better off if you did that than made one of these kids to stumble. That, dads, is a pretty serious charge. We are to train our kids. It was ingrained in the Hebrew history. It was ingrained in the nation of Israel even as they were being established. As Moses was getting the law from God himself on, on the mountain, one of the things that God told Moses was this in Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is known as the Shema. And this would be something that the Hebrew families would go over and over time and time again. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And these words which I command you shall be in your heart. Listen to this. 
you shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. He is addressing the, specifically the men of Israel were, were there at that meeting, and he says, All right, guys, this is how we do it. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you shall teach your children these things, teaching them whenever you're with them, essentially is the idea. What that means, Dad, is that the onus does not fall on a coach or a teacher or a Sunday school teacher or a troop leader or a daycare worker or a pastor to teach your kids about Jesus. It falls on your shoulders. And when do we do that? It's the father's responsibility. It's the parent's responsibility. When are we supposed to do that? Always. That's the idea in, in Deuteronomy 6-7. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. When else is there? <laughs> it's when you're in the house or when you're out of the house. And then when it's when you're laying down and when it's when you're awake. That's pretty much all the time. That's when you're to talk of these things. It's when you're to be pouring into your kids and teaching them about God. Guess what, Dad? That takes effort. <laughs> we talked about how the, the curse, um, when God cursed Adam and Eve, when he drove them out of the garden, part of the curse that came upon the land was, if you'll remember, uh, it, we, one of the questions we asked was, why is it so hard for a wife to submit to her husband? Because it's part of the curse. And, and that it tells us in Genesis chapter 3 that you'll want to rise up and you want to take the position of your husband. Wives, remember talking about that last week. And so uh, that's the challenge that lies within. Well, as that is a challenge for wives to want to rise up and, and lead the family a position that God has given to the fathers or to the husbands, the natural tendency because of the fall for us as guys is to go to a passive state that's it's true or not true when you get home from work is it easier to go to do more work or easier to sit in the recliner <laughs> is it a natural draw to go do more work or to relax it's a natural thing for us to say okay my work day is done no you're home from work, your work day's beginning. And now you have the opportunity to pour into your kids and to relieve your wife from having to take care of the kids all day long. It's your job to step in and to pour in. It takes effort. It takes planning. Every child is different. I could go through how each of my kids reacts to me differently. They learn differently. They understand things differently. I have to engage them differently in order to teach them. Each child is different, and each child takes an understanding. And so it, it takes planning. It takes knowing how God has wired your kids so that you can teach them. Dads, it takes time. It, 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 you have to invest time in your kids. It, it just takes time. When they're little, you don't have much of a choice. Now that my kids are older, have to be intentional about taking time to invest in my kids. And it takes a servant's heart. 
Yes, dads, we are the spiritual leaders of our household, but that means we're submitted to making sure that our, our spouses and our kids have what they need so that they can thrive and grow, and grow closer to God. It takes a servant's heart. In truth, dads, we can't do it. <laughs> How's that for encouragement? You can't. But with the Spirit's help, we can. Pray for your kids. Pray for yourself. That we would look for opportunities to pour into them. And I would only encourage you to pour into them after you have been filled. You can't pour from an empty cup. So you need to make sure that you're taking care of your own life and drawing close to the Lord. Lead by example. Show your kids what is right. Uh, how's the saying go? More is caught than taught. Right? Parents learn more by, or kids learn more by observing than by hearing. So set the example. And this one is um, not easy, but repent often. Repent to your kids often. You're going to mess up dads. You're going to mess up moms, parents, and caring for your kids. Repent to them often. Hey, you know what? Daddy sinned. Daddy messed that up. I did not handle that well. I need your forgiveness. I know that Jesus has forgiven me. Will you please forgive and that shows them the gospel and the power of the gospel and how to rightly come back to God when they make a mistake. Repent often. I have, since I have been in leadership in church, which has been the majority of the last 20 years, I have said this often to those that I'm training in leadership as well. There is no greater ministry than your own. What you do at church is nowhere near as important as what you do at home. If we aspire to be in leadership at the church, our house must be in order. First Timothy would tell us that. If we can't get our house correct, what right do we have to lead church? And so we have to get this right. And so you're probably asking at this point, as we draw to a close, how does the whole 860 thing fit in, Chris? <laughs> How is it that we do family in such a way that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God, there is no other? Well, can I encourage you, if you are able to, have kids. Have kids. Lots of them. Foster kids. Adopt kids. First generate, or first, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 1, verse 28 Speaking to the first generation, Adam and Eve, God says, Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves. Have kids. I think that look, looks more like the Duggars than it does the Clintons. <laughs> Does that mean you're going to have 19 kids and counting? No, not necessarily. But think of it this way. Two people having one kid is not multiplying, it's dividing. Presently, the average Muslim family is having more children than the average Christian family. 
And if that trend continues, it's only a matter of time, and in fact it's a couple generations from now, the Muslim Islam will be the largest religion in the world, just by sheer population. Have kids. Make disciples in your home. If you don't do any ministering outside of your home, if you do everything you can to raise disciples in your home, it multiplies. It works itself out. If two people have three kids that become disciples, become devout followers of Christ, and those three kids each have three kids, then you have nine people. And those nine people have three kids, and those three kids become devout people, and then you have 27 people. And then... 81, and then 243, and then 729. And in 10 generations, you have 59,000 people following after Christ just because two people decided to raise three disciples in their home. If two people have four kids that become devout followers, those four kids have four kids, eight becomes, eight becomes 32, becomes 128 in 10 generations, half a million people devout followers of Christ. Two people have five kids who become devout followers of Christ. You have 10, and then 50, and then 250. And in 10 generations, 3.9 million people following Christ. If we do nothing else but raise disciples in our home, in a matter of 10 generations, we can have millions of people following Christ. And that's just one family. What if a church embraces that? What if a nation embraces that? Train them in the way that they should go. The greatest thing we can do to steward the gift that God has given us in our children is to teach them that there is a God who loves them and wants to meet them, meet with them. And he's, done, he's made a way for them to meet with them by sending Jesus to the cross. And then ultimately we would pray for our kids that they would be like Jesus. Turn over to Luke chapter 2 real quickly to close. We pray that our kids would be more like Jesus. Luke chapter 2 verse 41 is where we'll read. As parents it says went over to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he, Jesus, was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And when they had finished the days as they returned, the boy, Jesus, lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and saw him among their relatives and acquaintances. All right, Mom and Dad. Any of you forgotten your kids in the car for a few minutes while you ran into the store? Anybody ever, you know, hey, I need to run out to the store to get this, and the kids at home taking a nap? You know, if you've lost your kid, you're in good company. Mary and Joseph did the same thing. <laughs> at 12 years old, Jesus stays behind in Jerusalem. Everybody leaves to go home, and they wait a whole day. <laughs> Has anybody seen Jesus? No, we thought he was with you. <laughs> and everybody starts looking around the whole caravan, and Jesus isn't there. So you're in good company. 
45. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now so it was after three days they found him in the temple. Imagine Mary at that point being panicked. Sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking questions, and all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed, and his mother said to him, Get in the car! No. <laughs> Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. That's pretty much what he was saying. They were saying. Listen to the answer. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you know that I must be about my father's business? Submitted to... And it tells us that shortly thereafter he went back with them and submitted himself to his parents. He honored his father and mother. But even at the age of 12, he was devoted to following after God and what God wanted for him. May our kids be about the, their heavenly father's business until all the people of the earth may know the Lord is God. There is no one. Amen. Amen. That is family. Let's stand, let's go some prayer. Father, we thank you and praise you for your grace and your mercy poured out through the cross and the sacrifice that Jesus made. I know as a father, I have made more than my fair share of mistakes. But I thank you that you have forgiven me, Lord, and that my kids forgive me when I come to them in repentance. And we want to create a culture in our household and in the households of this church to raise up disciples for you, O oh God. To take seriously the stewardship that you have given us, God. For those of us that have kids that are grown and that are out of the house, there's still opportunity to invest in their lives, Lord. May we seek out those things. And maybe there's other opportunities that we can come alongside young families to enable them to make disciples in their homes, God. May we come with eyes wide open in how we can serve you, Lord, with willing hearts. For those of us in the trenches of parenting, I pray that you would give us strength. A strength that in our own and of our own selves, Lord, but a strength that only you could give us. That we could invest in our kids, Lord. That we could pour into them, God. That we could show them what it is that is grace and mercy. That we could demonstrate the love that you have for them, God. I pray for salvation for our, our children, God. That they would come to know you and have their own relationship with you, God. I pray that as families, we would invest our time and our talent and our treasure so that all of the people of the earth may know that you love them, that you've made a way that we can come into communion with you. Father, as we go forward from this place, be with us. As we sing, I love you, Lord, I pray that we would demonstrate it with our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love